my creative quest is finding things that I'm afraid of and going out there and doing them anyway. Because the things that I'm afraid of, I feel like the next step of my life is on the other side of the things that I'm afraid of. Inspiration. Creative people. Problem solving. Imagination. Discovery. Thinking outside of the box. Welcome to Inspiris Audio Magazine, a podcast focusing on creativity, inspiration, and imagination. Hello, this is Inspiris Audio Magazine, and I'm your host, Spencer Webster. I recently traveled to the home of my next guest, who lives north of Seattle. She's been living with, and more accurately, thriving with, a terminal cancer diagnosis since 2002. In this episode, we'll discuss the numerous and creative ways she refuses to let the diagnosis kill her. And then she will share what cancer has taught her and what kinds of inventive ways she expresses herself as a result. I first met my guest in 2011 when she donned a Wonder Woman outfit and marched in a Seattle area parade to promote a nonprofit organization that was designed to raise funds for bucket wishes for children dealing with cancer. Since then, she's written articles for her blog, jumped out of airplanes at least 40 times, even after she broke her back in a skydiving accident, climbed nearly every peak in Washington State, and now she swims in the frigid waters of the Puget Sound. I'd like to introduce Susan's story to Inspiris Audio Magazine. Hello, how are you? I am awesome. How are you? It's been a long time. I know, like years. Years, too long. And uh, I, I think we, we discussed earlier that it, it had been another recording of some other event that didn't go quite so well, so hopefully this will be much better for us. It will definitely be better. <laughs> awesome. Well, my first question typically is, can you give me your elevator autobiography? So if you're in an elevator with somebody and you want to give them your resume, your verbal resume or CV, what would you tell them in about a minute or so? I am not sure why, but apparently I came into the world to experience all of the negative, traumatic events that most people face, you know, from cancer to divorce to death of a family member to getting fired from a job, to losing your child in a custody battle, to miscarriage, to breaking my back and being told I'd never walk again, to absolutely thriving and loving my life. That's a really great answer. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) You've been a cancer survivor since 2004 when doctor told you you had months to live. Can you tell me about your creative quest to keep on living? So actually, to make that just a little bit more clear, my first cancer diagnosis was in 2000, and then I had another white excision in 2002. So then in 2004, it spread pretty much throughout my entire body through my lymphatic system. And back then, my son convinced me, he was seven at the time, that he believed that if I died, it was because I chose to, and that he was not important enough for me to live for. And... So that was the beginning of my quest to find my way to keep myself on the planet. And I have been doing alternative treatments since then. And then with COVID last year and continuing now, it has been a bigger quest to find, because now he's 24, he's an adult. So he's no longer my, oh my gosh, I have to stay alive for him. It's 
what am I going to stay alive for now? And so I, I started swimming in the ocean, hoping that it would kill me. And when that didn't happen, the, the very first day, it completely changed my mindset on everything. I found so much peace and serenity out in the ocean and having a baby seal come six feet away from me and look me in the eyes and just sit there for 30 seconds and watching me and let me talk to it. Oh my goodness. It just, the, the most amazing feeling ever. Talk about an oxytocin boost. And so finding things like that, being out in the woods and, and having two coyotes 10 and 20 feet away from me for seven minutes while I talk to them, having the owls just sit there and not fly away when I walk by and, and just the, all of the animals in the world that not just the world, but you know, in my own little world that I'm coming in contact with has given me a much deeper appreciation for the world that I live in. There's okay. So wait, you have to ask the question again. (laughs) Can you tell me about your creative quest to keep on living? What what did you do that was it might have been different than what people might have expected of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so my creative quest is finding things that I'm afraid of and going out there and doing them anyway. Because the things that I'm afraid of, I feel like the next step of my life is on the other side of the things that I'm afraid of. What what are those things? You know, back in 04, or actually it was 07, I decided, all right, well, what am I afraid of that's causing the cancer? Because I've been, I look at my health totally different than the majority of people do. And I think that there's, there's, when we've got major issues in our lives, it's because we're afraid of something. So what is it that I'm afraid of? What, what is it that I was afraid of that was causing the cancer? Well, I didn't know. And, but I knew I was afraid of flying. And I knew I was afraid of heights. And so that's when I decided to go skydiving. And because there wasn't anything else I could think of that I was more afraid of. And then when I broke my back, I realized I was terrified of not being able to walk again. <laughs> you know, and the emergency room people are telling me, you're probably never going to walk again. I'm like, no, 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 no. I can move my toes. I'm going to walk again. And I climbed Mount St. Helens last year. But I was afraid of it. You know, I mean, I don't think my physical body was what it should have been to go and take on that kind of a challenge, but I did it and I came back and took about a week to get all the blisters to go away. But overcoming that and realizing that I got this, I can do this. And and so my big thing is finding things that I'm afraid of and doing them anyway and you know, when we're talking about creativity, I enjoy painting. I enjoy changing my yard around and planting new things to see to see how they grow in certain areas right. and just finding different ways to do things and talking to people. And that was really tough for me last year with COVID and not only not, well, basically being isolated for so long, but when being out in public and people being so afraid they wouldn't even talk. And so I I just set myself up on a on a thing where I go out. I usually wear bright red lipstick when I go to the beach to go swimming and I smile and I say hi to people and I talk to people and my my objective is to hopefully 
get people to back into talking to each other and to smiling and being happy and getting away from living in fear. What do you think drove you to step beyond the pale in terms of your fear? Because most people, they don't step, they might step up to the line, but they don't fully step over the line. What what was the inciting factor for you that for you in your life to say, I'm going to embrace this, I'm not going to run away from it? Well, I think there's a huge benefit in having a terminal diagnosis and that what's the worst that could happen? You die? (laughs) You know, I mean, they've already said that was going to happen. So why not? Why not? After I broke my back, I went back and I made 37 more skydives. So I got my license. And even on jump number 40, it still was terrifying to get out of the door. You know, it, the, the door opens, everybody yells door, and you're like, what am I doing? No, I got this. I got this. What's the worst that could happen? I die? No, actually, it, it, being severely broken is probably worse than dying. But, but no, just, just knowing that, okay, if I do this and I'm successful at it, my confidence is going to rise. I'm going to feel so much better about myself. And it's going to help me in other areas of my life, whatever that may be. And aside from that, there's people watching. And I know that those people watching are going to potentially think, well, if she can do it, maybe I can do it. And, and I, I truly believe that all of us, if we can face whatever it is that we're afraid of and do it anyway, we're just going to come out better on the other side of it. Yeah, the, the bigger thing to me is what's, it going to stop me from and what is what am I going to miss out on if I don't do it it's so interesting because one of those moments when you're like should I should I do this podcast or should I not do this podcast and it became quickly obvious that yes I'm supposed to do this podcast but there's going to be some learning curve and there's going to be some some trials and there's going to be some mistakes and there's going to be whatever and I I used to be a person that wouldn't take that step. You know, I was like, oh, someone else can do this or, you know, I I don't need I don't need to do this or whatever. And I was supposed to be going around the, you know, as I've said numerous times in the podcast previously, I was supposed to be going around the world on a motorcycle. And that's not something that, you know, you, you have to plan. You have to, you can't just take it for granted. And it's not fear that's keeping me from going around the world right now. The world is is not cooperating, right? So I'm doing this instead, and this I'm going to gather a great deal of joy, and I get to meet a whole bunch of people and, and talk to them and all that kind of stuff. So I take your philosophy and I multiply it by 10, you know, or more, because, you know, you've been an inspiration to me. Like when I follow your Facebook feed and I see you on top of Mount Pilchuck and you're facing the world, you know, <laughs> at mail, Mailbox Peak or whatever. And most of them topless. <laughs> well, there's that too, but... You know, I'm not there, so it's, 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 you're not at a loss, right? So, but to me, if you have embraced all of those activities despite the risks, then we're all better for it, right? Well, yeah, and, and the risks to me are greater by not doing it. So I, I understand that most people see the risks of doing some of the things that I do, but the risk of not doing it is is far greater because of the benefits that you get from coming out of the other side. And you realize that, or I realize, 
that people are going to judge me anyway. You know, there's so many people out in the world that say, oh, you shouldn't judge anybody. We all judge people. That's how we make decisions on what we're going to do next. You know, if, if I'm somebody wants to come swimming with me and my dog is severely upset by them being around, I don't know if I want to go swimming with that person. Do I want to be in the woods with that person? Mm, I don't know. But, but what, are, what are the risks? What are the benefits of following through with it? But, but yeah, so people are going to judge us anyway. And regardless of that judgment, we got to do things for ourselves. And do you really care what other people think? No, do the podcast because you're going to come through to the people who need it. And the people that want to be judgy about it, they get to go and listen to something else. What is the biggest lesson you've learned during your cancer journey? The biggest lesson I've learned is to absolutely positively love myself. Uh, there are a lot of emotional books out there. There's Louise Hay wrote several books. Carol Truman wrote a book called Feelings Buried Alive Never Die. And there's another one called Messages from the Body by Michael, somebody, I forgot his last name. And those books have played an integral part in me looking up, okay, so what does this mean? Oh, so my foot's hurting. Oh, it means I'm afraid of the future. <laughs> afraid of stepping into the future. Well, melanoma is about, um, well, all cancers are related to anger and resentment. So I've known that for two decades, but I didn't know what my anger and resentment was about. And melanoma specifically is about revenge and wanting revenge on somebody for something. And it was only a few years ago that I realized what that was about. And knowing that revenge isn't going to get me anywhere. For instance, the man that I wanted revenge against is now in his 80s. He's got dementia. Would I really want to hurt an 80-year-old man who has dementia? And what happened to him when he was five years old? What happened to him when he was 10 years old? Are those the things that caused him to do what he did to me? And so having compassion for somebody like that and forgiveness for them for what they did to me and loving myself anyway has a far greater reach on me getting healthy and getting well than any medical treatment, than any alternative treatment. It's all about self-love. After the break, Susan will share how she came to believe her cancer represents some less than positive feelings. Inspirus Audio Magazine is available in a variety of locations, including Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, and YouTube, to name a few. If you have enjoyed the show, please like, share the episodes, and subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. And now, welcome back to Inspirus Audio Magazine and Susan's story. How did you come to the knowledge that melanoma represented, you know, revenge? And how how did you come to that that knowledge? Was it is it intuition, or is it something? that you read that just resonated with you in, in those books that you mentioned? Or is, is it all-encompassing? Is it everything coming all at once, basically, to you? No, it's definitely little things happening over time. So reading the one about melanoma and messages from the body, it's probably been eight years ago since I got that book. And it wasn't even published yet. Anyway, so I had it and I read it but it didn't mean anything. I had a repressed memory. 
that came back in 2017. And this might be the first time I've read melanoma since 2017, and now it all makes sense. But I've been working on the self-love piece for many years as well, and I don't know. I mean, does the repressed memory have to show up in order to let it go? It did, and I have, and now I just feel like I'm on a much healthier, happier path. Does that mean perhaps that once you've realized what's causing the illness, that the illness can then not, it doesn't serve a purpose anymore, and then it will go away? That's what I believe. I haven't had medical treatment for the cancer since 2002. The treatments that I do when I go to Mexico are all oxygen therapies and nutritional related and detoxing related. Sure, some of it comes through an IV, but they're not the same as the medical treatments that we do here in the United States. But I think that all of those things are only for use until you figure it out, until you learn to love yourself. And once you learn to love yourself and love everything about yourself and all your trillion cells, then I I don't see that there's any reason for the cancer anymore. So I guess we'll find out. (laughs) Nice. How has painting illustrated your life or has it? I don't know that the painting has illustrated my life, but there's been a lot of things that Yeah, actually, you're right. Painting has illustrated my life. Before COVID, the things that I would paint were related to, well, they were inspiring quotes or the best that I could. I've never been considered an artist. And in fact, my first husband ripped up one of my paintings and told me that I sucked as an artist and to quit buying shit. Anyway, I've set out and it has nothing to do with proving him wrong, but just to see what comes out of me anyway. So painting a scene of trees and a path similar to one of the hikes that I've done or a lake that I've swam in. But then recently, I don't even know what inspired me to do it. Other than I think the the repression that I've experienced in my life, being a woman and growing up not being allowed to use certain words because, and I don't know if that was because of a religious upbringing or what, but I started painting a lot of labia paintings and they, it's fun to me. It's like there's something wrong about it or not wrong to me but wrong to society and you shouldn't do that and the whole oh you should be ashamed of yourself for painting something like that no i shouldn't no i shouldn't nobody's going to put shame on me ever again i'm not going to accept it and i'm going to paint things that i want to mainly just to like put a little spur in people <laughs> Why, why labia over any, any other body part, I guess? Because that's the part that we're not allowed to talk about. Are we allowed to talk about it? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think that so many women, there's a ton of women today that have never seen their own labia. 
They've never gotten a mirror out. They've never looked at it. They don't know what it looks like. They have no idea. And we're, we're taught as little girls, we're not supposed to touch it. We're not supposed to look at it. We're, you've got all this stuff, whether it be at the store, you know, in the pharmacy area, the drugstore or magazines, or now on my newsfeed on Facebook, all the time I'm getting this thing for this deodorant that you use for your private parts. So like, at what point do we decide that that's just, okay, no, <laughs> you know, there, what is that about? Is it women thinking that, that their vaginas stink? Is it men telling them their vaginas stink? I don't know. But they don't ever use the proper words on any of these advertisements or anything. And why is that? I don't know. So I make vagina paintings and I made a necklace. I don't know. And also, I think that that's part of our creativity. Our creativity comes from our genitals. And why would we deny that? I'm not willing to deny it. And, and I, I think that's a big part of, you know, you're asking about creativity and stifling our sexuality is also stifling our creativity. How so? Because our creative aspects of our body comes from that chakra. And, and if we're blocking that off, then we're not able to do other creative things either. So we need to be in balance all the way across the spectrum, in other words. Absolutely. And I think that's been a big imbalance for me. So I've got a whole wall with butterfly vagina paintings on it. <laughs> I've shipped them to Texas. They're, they're, they're in different places now. In addition to the real ones. In addition to the real ones, absolutely. And so I, I think part of it is just with the... Yeah, the, the men in my life who have acted like that was wrong to talk about or you certainly don't show it. And, you know, my own my own labia painting is right by my front door. <laughs> that took a long time to try and figure out how to do it, you know, and I've never had anybody look at it and say, what is that? <laughs> Pretty self-explanatory, I would imagine. <laughs> so my, my art is like, okay, well, you may think it looks like a kindergartner, but did you know what it was? <laughs> when people have downtrodden your artistic vision, how have you risen above it? Well, that was that's, I think, why I started doing those, just because, yeah, I don't, I don't care anymore what anybody thinks about my artistic abilities, and I just do it anyway. I paint rocks. There's there's rocks all over the place that I've painted. I went through a phase where I painted hundreds of small rocks and they all said thank you on one side and love on the other side. And I hid them in places. I gave them to people and it was just my little part to remind people to love themselves and to have gratitude. And so I I, I think that part in itself is is huge for me too have gratitude for myself and for my own abilities. And it doesn't matter to me what anybody thinks about my artwork anymore. Well, that to me is uh, growth and positivity. So yeah, I, I, I can appreciate that. And it's funny that you talk about rocks because we'll be out traveling in the trails, you know, around Puget Sound and 
stuck in a hollow is a brightly painted rock or whatever we pick it up oh that's not for me that's for the next person to come by or whatever and it's it's pretty joyous honestly to find a a treasure like that painted so i can appreciate you painting rocks like that so yeah i paint them all bright colors and then i i even buy shellac and i put shellac on the outside of them just so that they last longer yeah what has been your favorite recipe you've created for better nutrition to mitigate your cancer so my belief is that the higher frequency foods that we eat, the higher frequency, the higher frequency of everything that we do, whether it be food or thoughts or energetic or music or whatever, is going to benefit us in ways that we have no idea. And so the smoothie that I made just now has kale, spinach, Swiss chard. Had had you been further away from being ready, I would have gone out to the backyard and gotten dandelions and spearmint to put in it as well. Um, but there's there's all the greens in it. I usually eat dandelions every day. I, I save the little puff balls and actually plant them to have more dandelions growing in my yard. The HOA is not real kind on it, but... <laughs> <laughs> they can use the roundup. I'm going to keep growing the happy dandelions. And and so then I make ice cubes out of strawberries, watermelon and lime, and then I put a couple of those strawberry uh, of the ice cubes in it. And then today I also put a grapefruit in there. And then I grind it up with water and I drink that twice a day. And I make a salad that I really enjoy that is Usually, I mean, it just depends on what I have in there, but red and green cabbage and broccoli and either daikon radish or the little red radishes and cilantro, and then I put lime in it, and I make a salad dressing. Most of the salad dressings that I've seen, I, I don't like. I don't eat canola oil or soybean oil or vegetable oil, and so I, I make it myself out of olive oil and apple cider vinegar and sunflower lecithin. And then I put mustard and maybe a little bit of honey and a lot of spices in there. It's my version of coleslaw. Hmm. It sounds spicy. Sounds like it's got a bite to it. Oh, it definitely has a bite to it. So I don't eat sugar except for in the, like I said, the grapefruit and the, there's, there's sugar in the fruit. And I don't eat a lot of fruit. I just put those those ice cubes in the in the smoothie. And most of what I eat is vegetables. Rosie's favorite right now, Rosie the dog, is um, when I, I make a, a whole pan of broccoli and I put coconut oil in there and I just lightly stir fry it enough to get it to where it turns bright green. And then I turn the heat off and I pour this peanut sauce, a peanut butter, and it's peanut butter and sesame oil, a few other things in there. And so her favorite is the broccoli and peanut sauce. She gets that a lot. Oh, that, that's important to have your dog's approval, I guess. <laughs> if Noah Webster swam in the water beside you and then asked you to define creativity, what would you tell him? Say that again. If Noah Webster, the dictionary guy, swam in the waters with you, and then when you took a break, he asked you, how would you define creativity? What would you tell him? Creativity, Mr. Webster, 
is about finding something to do that nobody's ever told you to do that you're able to find joy in. I don't know if he's going to like that definition. Well, he's warming up once he gets out of the water, so I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if that'll matter. All right. Well, that's that's a good answer. I and I'm. It's interesting. I'm seeing a trend in the people who answer that question. That it's it's about going out and doing, and doing what's inspired. You know what's inspired you to to move. You know. So I I appreciate you answering that for me. How do you inspire other people to reach beyond their self-imposed limits? We'll be right back after this brief message. Inspire's audio magazine is still in its infancy at a few months old. I'm enjoying sharing these stories of inspiration and what drives people to create. As the show matures, however, interviews will only be one part of the vision I have for it. I'd love to get your thoughts as you listen to these episodes. Please get in touch with me and share your feedback at the contact page at inspirus-podcast.com. And now, welcome back to the show. Susan tells us how she inspires people to move beyond their limited scope of vision. I hope that I inspire them by sharing the things that I do. And letting people know that I'm still scared, but I do it anyway. People all the time are asking me at the beach, isn't it cold? Well, yeah, it's cold. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that people who don't swim in Puget Sound have any idea how, how cold it actually is. They might put their feet in there and that's enough for them. But once you're in, like even today, I looked at my watch. Because I was like, it's been eight minutes. I look at my watch and it had been exactly eight minutes. Because at eight minutes, that's when I'm totally numb. And it's no longer cold. It's just, you're so cold, you're completely numb. Mm -hmm. And so the people that see me down there on a regular basis, they see me go in and they see me in there for 30 minutes and they ask questions when I get out. And they see the sea lions out there slapping their tails on the water or their their fin on the water, whatever they're doing. Some people think that they're scaring the fish. Other people say, if you look it up online, it says that they don't have any grinding teeth and they slap their food on the water to break it apart. I don't want to be in that line of fire. <laughs> you don't want to get hit with a fish? No, I don't want to get hit with a fish. I don't want to get hit with a sea lion fin or a tail because those things, they're huge. And so... It is scary to be out there in the water when they're doing that. And so the people that are on the shore, they watch that. And I've had people yell at me to get out of the water. But those are the people that are probably never going to get in the water. But aside from from the swimming, just the things that I do, I, I hope to inspire people by them seeing that, yeah, I'm scared. But yeah, I'm doing it anyway. And especially with in regards to dealing with cancer. You know, is it scary? Yeah, it's scary because I'm not trying to die. You know, I'm trying to have adventures and see new things and go to new places. And what all can I get out of life? And and to inspire people to do the same thing as opposed to being afraid of the risk and not doing what they they could be doing. You know, I, I think a lot of people are missing out on life in general because they let the fears of the potential what-ifs get in the way of what could really bring them a lot of joy. One of the things that I found myself thinking about in in a grander sense is, you know, before this modern era, 
you know, people would sit around a fire and the fire would keep the predators at bay. You'd tell stories and you would listen and, you know, there might be a, a, a saber-toothed tiger out there, you know, just on the periphery or a wolf or bear or whatever. And, and people had to be on their toes at all times. They had the fear, but at the same time, they knew what they needed to do to overcome that fear, correct? So now, you know, it's it's the modern era. We've got cell phones. We've got, you know, we have different types of predators. But you know, the fear is still there, but it's in a different form. And how, how do you assuage that? How do you How do you mitigate fear? Like what you're saying, I think you just have to embrace it. And, you know, my early years, I was a very fearful person. I wondered and I worried about people judging me and I didn't do things and I might fall on my motorcycle or I might fall on my bicycle or I might, you know, there's any number of things that could happen. Here's a good example. So in 2019, I had my motorcycle down in, in Moab, Utah, and there's we went around, I was with a group of guys and a, a couple of women and we were riding motorcycles and it's it's a hundred mile loop and it's very difficult terrain, sand and water and mud holes and all that kind of stuff. And we were about 70 miles in, and there, there's this hill. And I'm on a 500-plus-pound motorcycle, right? And the thing likes to fall over if I'm not paying attention. And I'm, like, the second from the back. I'm the slowest rider, practically the slowest rider. And this guy waited for me, and he goes, okay, you've got to climb up that hill. And I'm like, I can't climb up that hill. What? Do you, I don't know what you're talking about. You can climb up that hill, Spencer. You can. And I'm like, no. And he goes, and you can't go back around because it's 70 miles. You're running out of fuel before you, before you get back around. And I'm like, oh, I've got to climb that hill. And I, I get my motorcycle in gear and I'm like dealing my cojones. And I'm like, okay, I've got to do this. And up I went and I kept it, I kept the throttle up. Cause that's the thing. You have to keep your momentum up and you just have to go. And I get up around the corner and they're all watching me. All of my other friends are right there. And they're all clapping and everything like that. They're like, yeah, you did it. And I, I felt like a million bucks. Yeah. I felt because I'd conquered my fear in that moment. And it was scary. It's a half mile at a four, practically a 45 degree angle. And you just have to go. You can't, can't back down. You yeah. just can't do it. And that, that's one of those seminal moments of, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You know, and it is scary. It's definitely, it's definitely scary. But, and that's just one example from my life. I mean, being in the Navy and, you know, all those different types of things or whatever. But we, I think we as a society now, we're, I mean, I look at the younger generations and I, I feel like, what is their, what is their predator? What, what, what is it? You know, I think it's the fear of not being able to be seen, you know, or, or, you know, to be online and, and be TikTok famous or YouTube famous or viral or whatever, but there's no real danger, you know, that they're having to deal with, you know, unless you're doing some activity. Like one of the people I follow on YouTube, he he flies paragliders, powered paragliders in in the Midwest, and he's always challenging himself to do, you know, new things. And that is a sport, right? So I don't know. I feel like. You, Susan, could inspire a lot of people to just step over that line. You're talking about the the fear of the the bears and the tigers and and whatever. 
way back then, those things, yes, they were a threat, but as soon as the threat was over, the adrenaline and the cortisol and stuff left our bodies. It wasn't like it was a constant threat. It wasn't something that, okay, this is a threat and now my cortisol levels are going to stay high for 12 hours. Once the threat went away, the hormones went away. And now people get stressed out over something that they saw in the news, something somebody said, and the cortisol, the adrenaline, it stays high for hours. And so my perspective on getting rid of that is the self-imposed facing of the fears, the going to the ocean and stepping in and, and doing it anyway. And, you know, what, what are people afraid of when they're going to go swim in the ocean? Is it sharks? We, we don't have any sharks that bother people up here. Is it the whales? Is it the, uh, is it the cold? I think a lot of people are just flat out afraid of the cold. Well, you get in there anyway, and you tell your body, okay, you know what, we're doing this. But you also realize that you don't want your histamine, your adrenaline, your cortisol to be up. And you don't want it to be high at all, because those are the things that cause disease. It's great to do it, you know, like for a skydive or, or whatever it happens to be. Because once you're done with that, the threat is over, and you let, that, and you let it go. And so those hormones don't stay surging through your body. But, but when you're freaked out about, oh my God, there's this virus that's going to kill everybody, there's no release from that. You don't get to not think about it right before you go to bed. That's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning. Yeah. So if we can learn to go to the other side, and elevate our dopamine, our oxytocin, our serotonin, and our endorphins, those activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Those things are going to calm us. And then we're, we're going to have... Well, maybe, Hello, Rosie. maybe Rosie needs to go outside. She's a little sad that we're not playing with her. We're going to take advantage of a brief interruption that Susan's dog Rosie gave us as she communicated that she wanted us to play with her. What are some podcasters you'd like for me to bring onto the show as a guest? Artists, creators, etc.? And now, with Rosie quieted down, welcome back to Inspiris Audio Magazine. So the hormones of fear, the histamine, the adrenaline, and the cortisol, when we self-impose ourselves into a fear and force ourselves to do it and do it anyway, we're alive when we come out of it those things are just going to automatically decline. When, when I come face to face with the baby seal, the happy hormones just go through the roof. The peace, the calm, the serenity, the, oh my goodness, that is the cutest little animal ever, <laughs> aside from you. And, and you're on their terms, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and doing things to increase the happy hormones is automatically going to negate the stress hormones. And, and I think that that's, that's what we need to be focusing on, is what can we do to increase the happy hormones in our body and decrease the stress and the fear. And the intentional facing of fears is one way to do that. You push yourself into something that your body doesn't want to do, and then it's fine at the end of it, 
and and it's just really really calming and plus the confidence that comes from it well, confidence is definitely important how do you de-stress when you catch another flare-up of cancer you mentioned that that was very important for you to realize that stress caused issues so how do you negate that as well my body responds to stress essentially with cancer a lot of people get really stressed out and they're they're overwhelmed with something and they end up getting a cold and they can't go to work because they have a cold <laughs> for me i get stressed out over something for instance i had a Facebook person show up at the beach a month ago and ask if he could swim with me. Second day, he comes, he shows, he asks when I'm coming, he shows up, everything's fine until he says, well, this is our second date. When are you going to kiss me? I'm like, no, this isn't a date. And it was a little weird. But then on the third day, he shows up. He gets really jealous because somebody from the swimming group showed up. He got really angry with me. And within 10 days, I had new cancer on my arm. And I don't know why that stressed me out so bad, much. I, I, I don't do things intentionally to upset people or piss them off. And when somebody gets that angry at me, I, I have no idea why that caused it. Right. It's kind of cool to me because it's a thermostat. It's like, okay, Susan, what this means on my arm is that I didn't handle that correctly. And so it's time to figure out how I'm going to change that and get my thermostat right back into homeostasis. And I don't get afraid of the cancer. I'm not worried about it. It's just kind of, it's the thermostat. It shows me that there's something that I need to fix. So I needed to let go of that and move forward. And that didn't answer your question, did it? No, no it answered the question. Though cancer is deadly, is there a gift of this disease for you? If this is true, what is your biggest gift? So I don't think that cancer is here to kill us. I don't think that people get it for it to kill us. I think that it's a wake-up call and that... The more people that can see it as, this is my body telling me that I'm not doing something right. My body needs something that I'm not giving it, or I'm giving it too much of something that it doesn't want. And for years, I've looked at cancer as an overload of toxicity and nutritional deficiencies, or happiness deficiencies. So if we can get those things going back together, then... Is the cancer going to go away? Well, for me, most of it has. And like I said before, it's kind of a thermostat. So when it shows up again, I look at myself as to what am I not doing right? And there was several years ago that I thought, eh, I don't have that much cancer. I, 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 I'm not going to follow that diet anymore. And I literally ate a Costco-sized bag of Doritos in like half of a week. <laughs> And by the following next week, not only was I puffy and bloated from all of the whatever they put in there, I had multiple cancer lesions show up. And my son's like, 
Mom, I told you not to eat that. <laughs> like, okay, yep, you're right. And so what are the nutritional deficiencies? What are the overloads? And I, I think a big, huge part of cancer is what are the negative emotions that I've stored in my body that my body can't handle anymore? And how am I going to get rid of them? How am I going to let those things go? Because when I, there's so many people that I've met that have cancer and looking at the similarities that we all have, we stuff emotions and it's time to let that stuff go. Let quit stuffing the motions, express it when it comes up. Don't hide it. Don't hide it from yourself. Don't hide it from somebody else. You know, the days of me walking on eggshells around a partner because of how they might react are, are done. That's a part of my past. Right. I won't live like that ever again. Why do you think we have such a stigma against, against showing our emotions? Like that's coming from me. I'm a Pisces. I, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. You know, it, people know right away. And I also have resting bitch face. So people think that I'm mad all the time and I'm not. I can be very, very happy about things and still have zero effect on my face. But I do know that I'm very emotional and I can. Why do you think that we as a culture don't support expressing our feelings and, and allowing for illness to kind of just dissipate away? Well, I know that when I was growing up, my brothers were not, quote, allowed to cry. They weren't, stop being a baby. Stop being a little girl. That kind of stuff. I don't know if that's still how, I didn't parent my son that way. You know, I think that we parent our kids the way we were parented, unless we either parent the same way or the complete opposite. I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot in between, but I haven't been around a whole lot of people when they're in the middle of the meltdowns with their kids and how they respond to it. But a lot of people are afraid to show their vulnerabilities. I did a class a few years ago and I asked people what they were afraid of. And out of a dozen people, not one person would admit to being afraid of anything. They were, it was a group of salespeople. And so after I left, I was okay, I'm completely lost. But then I realized they don't want each other to know their vulnerabilities because they're competing against each other. Right. And in a situation like that, I think that's why. They don't, they don't want anybody to see where they're vulnerable because they're afraid that the other people will use that against them. And I think it's like that in general society as well. And I, I don't know how to change that for people other than for them to show that vulnerability by going and doing something that puts themselves out there. And then once they overcome it or they get past it, just again, like I said, the confidence shows up in their own lives and it makes it easier to do it the next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I think also there there are occasions when interpersonal relationships take advantage of emotions, a husband and wife, a boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever. They know how to push the buttons. They know how to get that, that those emotions swirling or whatever. And then 
I've had experiences in relationships where that's where that's happened and it's it's very frustrating to be to be so emotional and at the same time be like lockstep with someone pushing pushing buttons or whatever. So I think that there's a fear of not being stable in a relationship as well. Well, also I think that the people that we choose to be in relationship with are there to push our buttons. And what I mean by that is that that that's how we grow. If we have somebody that's continuously pushing our buttons, we either learn how to deal with those emotions or we stuff them and then we have to go through the same thing with the next person that we're with. So if we can learn how to deal with it, with that person pushing our buttons, then it makes it easier when somebody out in the world is pushing your buttons. You know, because the, the person that you're closest with, yeah, they know you better than, they, than anybody else does. And they know where to poke you. And if, if you can understand that and, and learn how to deal with it, then it's going to make it easier when somebody else does it. Yep. I agree. How has overcoming the fear of heights changed how you look at the world? I have not overcome my fear of heights. I face my fear of heights when I get out of an airplane. I guess in some ways, like when I climb mountains, I'm able to stand near an edge without panicking or freaking out. On the top of Mount St. Helens, I would not turn my back to the crater and stand there. I faced it. When I, had to, when I turned around when we were doing pictures, I sat down because, yeah, I still have a fear of, of falling in something that's, you know, not fixable. We painted our, I had a friend come over and help me paint the back of my house recently and I couldn't climb the ladder. So I, I am definitely still have a fear of, I don't think it's a fear of heights, it's a fear of the impact of hitting the ground. Oh, still, still part of the, the previous conversation we had then. Yeah. There's things that I will do just to, to push that. But I, I, it's not like I've completely eliminated it. But yeah, the, the confidence that I've gained from, from doing things. Like I go to a rock climbing gym, or I did before COVID, and I can, I can climb a 50-foot wall and look down and not be terrified. So if I'm on an auto belay, it still scares me to let go and get lowered to the ground. But, but I'm able to do it. And... I think there's a lot of people that are more afraid of heights and couldn't do that either. But I just keep pushing myself to do the things I'm afraid of, and, and it, it decreases. But never fully goes away. It hasn't for me. Why is it important for you to connect people and build circles? I think that we are all connected, whether we like it or not. And the ideas and the creativity that each individual has bringing to a group, bringing to a community is vitally important. There's things that I will never think of that you might. There's things that other people might think about doing that are going to greatly improve our lives that, that we would never think of. And that, that connection to other people, we weren't put here to be alone. We weren't put here to be isolated, I don't think. I think that we are supposed to connect with other people and to work as communities in order to make our lives better. And just because of the experiences that we've had, 
growing up and in our adult lives, we all have different perspectives on things. And we bring different things to the table. And to be able to connect with people and find out what makes them tick, I think is very important for moving forward. Do you have an example of a circle that you built or a, connect, a connection you made with somebody that was very meaningful for you? We should come back to that one. Okay. The one that I'm thinking about was... Okay, the, a circle that I built that was very meaningful to me. There was a group I was involved with many years ago that really helped me to see the things that I was not capable of seeing myself. My kid was five, and I was at work, and this woman comes in. I was managing a gym. We were open till midnight. She shows up like at 10 o'clock at night, and there's nobody in there. And she asked, are you Susan? And I said, yeah. And she hands me this packet of papers. And it was a restraining order saying that I was not going to be able to see my son or make any kind of contact or call his father. No contact at all for the next three weeks. And it said that I was violent and a drug abuser. Okay, I wasn't either. I had never used any drugs. I wasn't it it made me want to be violent. It really did. But at that point, I, I wasn't. Um, I still haven't been violent, but some horribly violent thoughts went through my head during that three-week time period. And this group of women I connected with, one of my friends was already in it, and she invited me to come. And they all had gone through different situations, but some of them similar. And they helped me, they helped me immensely get through that whole process. A, a common theme that I have had in my, in my life in the past was, what did I do to deserve that? And it seemed like while I was feeling that way, I kept having things happen in my life that I hadn't done anything to deserve that, but I didn't know how to work through it and get through to the other side of it. And they helped me a ton. And I, I hope to, you know, build another community where I can, we can have people like that to be able to support each other and to help when, when things don't go the way that we planned them or think they should. You mentioned before the interview that you are trying to start a business. Can you share a little bit about what you're trying to build? Yes. I am, for years, I was a personal trainer, and then I was a health coach with a bunch of people who didn't want to do the personal training aspect of it. And I absolutely fell in love with that aspect of, of what I was doing and helping people decide what it is that they want out of their lives. So many of us don't know what we want at all. We know what we don't want, but we don't know what we do want. And so to pull that out of people and help them figure out what is it that you want? Where do you want to go? And how can I help you make that happen? And a big thing that I did for years was work just with terminal cancer patients. Well, you know, with what we were talking about before with the emotional side of things, the stuffed emotions are often so deeply buried that 
people don't see any way to let go of that stuff. They don't see any hope. They don't. They they already have been so overwhelmed with one or more aspects of their lives that they don't think that they can survive it. And you know, once it gets to a certain point, doctors don't think they can survive it. And and there's that point where for all of us there is a point of no return. And how can I not how can I? I I want to get through to the people who still want to be alive. They find themselves in a pretty stuck situation, feeling they're between a rock and a hard place and not able to move forward. And for me to show them that, yeah, I did it. I did it. If I can do it, you can do it. And let's get you through this. Let's let go of the bad stuff and put in all the good stuff and see where we can get you and remember those dreams that you gave up on before the diagnosis and let's make that stuff happen. When did you begin to believe that your art and music allowed you to be good enough and now more than enough? Last year being totally isolated, I started doing things that I didn't do before, you know, with nobody else living in the house. I didn't, I didn't worry about who was going to be bothered by my playing loud music. And pretty much every night I turn on loud music and I dance in the kitchen. And usually Rosie just ignores me because she doesn't dance with me like some of my past dogs did. And I had to do something. What was I going to do? And so I'd get out my steel drum and play the drum Sometimes my son would call and ask for a concert, so I would play the drum while he sat on speakerphone for 20 or 30 minutes, and he really enjoyed it, and in the beginning, I thought I was just banging on the drum, but I liked it, and it always felt better, and and he enjoyed it, and the painting, just the people who have seen it, they, they know what it is, and people know what it is. <laughs> Again, it shouldn't matter to me what anybody else thinks of my stuff. And I think last year, being so isolated, I realized that not only does it not matter what anybody else thinks of my stuff, it really matters what I think of it. And so putting my paintings on the wall and dancing to the music that I like and playing my drums, and it just makes me happy. And so whatever I do that makes me happy makes me know that. I am absolutely good enough. And, and back to what we had talked about before, the, the cancer is about not feeling like you're good enough. And there's a whole ton of people that feel like they're not good enough. And I, I hope that by me putting myself out there, other people can see that, you know what, you are just, you're, you're perfectly fine exactly the way that you are. And, and how can we get more people to realize that they, they are not only good enough, but they're better than good enough. I love myself and I'm wanting to share that with the world and hopefully get more other more people to to feel the same way. So in my pre-interview I I typically ask is there anything that I that I didn't ask you that you would like to talk about or is there something that the world doesn't know about you that you want to share and so you said at, give me a topic. So how I'm going to do that is I'm going to give you five random words choose one. So my five random words are monster, pure, hospitality, 
monarch, or creation. Pick one of those words and give me a story that relates to that word that relates to your life. Oh, please read the list again. Monster, pure, hospitality, monarch, creation. I'm going to go, oh my goodness. I could have a story about all of those words. Creation, because I am excited about creating something that's going to make a huge difference in the world. A retreat center. And in that retreat center, people come and I teach the things that I've learned about moving the body and loving our bodies. I live in the world where, yes, we do need to detox our bodies. We need to let go of emotional stuff, traumas that happened when we were kids, traumas that happened with our early relationships and up until now. And so helping people to let go of all of that stuff, to fill their bodies with nutrition, to teach them how to move, to teach them how to love the earth and to love the sea and to love the air. And yeah, I'm going to make people face their fears. We'll jump off of things that we shouldn't jump off of. Might, might jump out of airplanes, jump out of a, off a helicopter. I don't know. <laughs> we'll have hot and cold water therapies there. We'll have practitioners there to help people to, to move through this stuff. And we'll teach them to, how to go back to their communities and teach the other people in their own communities how to do the same things. And, you know, something as simple as grounding is going outside and standing on the ground with your bare feet, sitting on the ground. Did you know that you can get rid of headaches? You can get rid of all kinds of things just by laying on the ground. I didn't know that. It's amazing. And most people don't know it. And because it's so easy and free, they discount it and don't think it has anything to offer, being in the ocean is like grounding on steroids. You know, your, your whole body is surrounded by this salt water and it's extremely grounding. And there's just so many easy, simple things that we can do to make ourselves feel better. And so, yeah, I want to have this retreat center and who knows what all we'll do, but Definitely about creation and teaching people the, the things that I've learned that have not only kept me on the planet, but made me a much better person than I was before cancer. And, and to have them go home and teach the same things to the people that they care about. Do you have a timeline for when you want to have this created by? You know, that is probably what needs to happen is I need to put a timeline on it, put a deadline on it. And I've, I have not done that. The deadline that I had was before the cancer spread everywhere in my body. So that was literally 18 years ago. My second husband and I were going to buy a property and start with a gym and start with adding on those other things. And so, yeah, it's been a dream for a long time, but I pushed it aside and was in survival mode for 17 years. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I really think that this isolation and me painting and playing with the drums and going to the sound, going in the water and, 
and going in the woods, all of that is bringing my dreams back. And, and so, yeah, I'm excited about creating a better world for myself and for other people. And so, yeah, I need to, I need that deadline. Well, there you go. All right. So that's the end of the regular part of the interview. So now I've got four rapid fire questions. You ready? Ready. What are you most curious about right now? Most curious about right now. I have never been able to put my face in the water when I'm swimming. And I think that stems from the PTSD from something that happened when I was seven. I kind of go into panic mode when I put my face in the water. But what I'm most curious about is to be able to put my face in the water and see all the amazing creatures that live underneath the water that I'm not able to see. I've, I've got friends who have their GoPros and there's giant starfish and sea anemones and all kinds of cool things that live stuck to the pilings underneath the dock. And I, I really want to be able to go under there and see them. Did you see that movie? Uh, I think it was Netflix. The octopus, the, the octopus teacher. teacher. I did. Yeah, that was an amazing film. And that, that speaks right to that, you know, that gentleman was really struggling and went into the water and, you know, a year of his life was dedicated to being that friend, you know. I was, yeah, I, I'm, I'm working on holding my breath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you miss most about your childhood summer vacations if you had summer vacations as a child? I don't think I miss anything about my summer vacations, but... As a child, so first through fifth grade, we lived in Jacksonville, Florida, and I loved going to the beach in Jacksonville, and my feet got used to the burning sand, so it, it didn't hurt. We were able to walk across the sand without flip-flops or anything on, and playing in the waves in the ocean, and just, we, we went to the beach a ton, and that was more fun to me than summer vacations going like road trips i don't miss the road trips at all maybe that's why i haven't taken a road trip in my 22 years of living in this house <laughs> all right well we'll just leave it at that <laughs> if thoughts become things what did you just create an amazing retreat center <laughs> I like it i like that a lot actually that's cool all right, so you're on a tra okay. This is gonna be ironic. You're on a train trip across the country, and you can only bring three things. What are they? My water filtration system, my coffee in a bucket with coffee in it. Apparently, I'm gonna need a lot of coffee. And Rosie, my dog. <laughs> That'll be a very unique trip. <laughs> How can people, do you have a social media presence? Do you have any way for people to get in touch with you if they want to talk to you about some of the topics we talked about today? If this podcast is going to be up in a month, I will have it then. <laughs> All right. So no, I'm Susan Story on Facebook and I don't check Instagram hardly ever. Yeah, people can find me as Susan Story on Facebook. Is there anything else that I didn't ask that you would like to end with? Find ways. Every single, everything that comes up, whether it's driving somewhere and somebody cuts you off or you're deciding what you're going to have for lunch or whatever, how is this going to benefit me? Make it a habit of asking yourself, how is this going to benefit me? Is this going to benefit me? Is there a better choice that I could make? Everything is about choices. We can 
choose to eat this or we can choose to eat that. What are the benefits of choice number one versus choice number two? Is something going to taste amazing right now because you're addicted to sugar, but going to make you feel like crap tomorrow? Is this choice going to make you feel okay right now? Or you're going to fit in because that's what everybody else is eating right now, but it's got the potential of causing long-term illness. Just pay attention to your choices. Make choices that show your body that you love it. I exercise because I love my body, not because I hate it. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, even though I'll have to, to cut out some of the rosy stuff, I appreciated having, having the, <laughs> the rosy energy in the house. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Inspirus Audio Magazine spoke with Susan Story, who is not only living with cancer, she's kicking its butt. Cancer has taught her to be resilient. It's also inspired her to use a variety of art forms to help people, especially those who are dealing with cancer themselves. Susan is a firecracker of a woman who speaks her truth with an authenticity that is a breath of fresh air. Perhaps after listening to Susan talk about swimming with the seals in Puget Sound, you might conquer whatever fears you have. You can find a link to Susan's website in the show's notes or at my website, inspirus-podcast.com. Thanks for listening. Inspirus Audio Magazine is produced by Spencer Webster and SP Webster Press. Music is provided by Leland Hirschman, and intro narration is provided by Mackenzie Webster. And remember, creativity is in your future.